Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Donnelly. Um, Ryan, we have a really special one, a really special one, especially for, for you. This is a sort of an interview that you've been very excited about. It's one that I'm very excited about, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to take up too much time here because I know that you want to get right into this. Uh, what are we doing today? Yeah, uh, Pat, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of really cool guests uh, flipping the field in our brief history together. But this is one I'm definitely particularly excited about. Um, I know if you've listened to us for, for really any length of time, uh, you've heard us talk about how much interest we have and kind of the Internet culture that's been generated by the, the weird and beautiful corner uh, of the Internet that is college football message boards. Uh, you know, you can go back to 2011 or whatever it was. They broke the story of Osama bin Laden's assassination on, on the rivals board. Uh, they asked whether Tua had a language barrier in Alabama. Uh, they told you about how much your head coach is right. You know, your rivals head coach cheats on uh, cheats and recruiting and everything in between. Um, and, and pretty much whatever message board uh, you subscribe to, whatever your favorite headline is, you kind of owe its existence to our guest here. So uh, we do have Shannon Terry, the former CEO of Rivals, the former CEO and founder of 24-7 Sports, and now the CEO and founder of his new venture on 3Sports, who is gracious enough to join our weird little podcast today. Uh, in my opinion, he's an indelible part of the fabric of college football and one of kind of the men behind the curtain make the whole, the whole thing spin. So Shannon, uh, how's it going? Doing great. Glad to be on the show today. Awesome. Awesome. We're excited to have you. Um, so, you know, we have to ask you from the jump. It's the reason we got connected here, Shannon. Uh, you know, when was it that you and Matt Zenitz first got linked in with the CIA? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, lo- I love that. You know, that, that, that kid, you know, I think I, it's hard to explain, but I am un, I'm, not, I'm not surprised how much news he has broken. He works so hard. You know, it's been such an asset for on three. And I've been watching him for about three or four years. And so, you know, we knew he was a diamond in the rough. And we're just excited to have him on our team. And he I definitely yeah. works for the CIA. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what I wanted to ask you about because, you know, I'm someone who follows college football pretty closely. And, and his yeah. um, his kind of introduction to breaking all this coaching news and everything else, um, you know, where'd you guys find him at? And, and what's what's his background? You know, we since since my days in, at Rivals basically started in 1996, I mean, we've hired close to 2,000 people. I don't think people realize that. And so much of what I do during the day is that I look for, you know, the next Matt Zenit to the world. And so, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have hired a lot of, a lot of those people over the years. And, you know, there's kind of a recipe we look for, you know, Josh Pates, the superstar in college sports. I remember finding him, you know, from YouTube. And so when you hire as many people as we have in these three businesses, plus, you know, the entertainment stuff that we've done, it's it's kind of what we do, and I think it's it's actually our our secret sauce in finding people. Matt was small paper, you know, small Twitter following, um, not going to do real well in an interview, you know. But when you really get in there and you, you start talking to him and you see how deep deep the ocean is, it doesn't take long to figure out this kid's going to make it. He's going to make it big, and that's exactly what he's doing. He is he is a monster in college sports and it's it's only going to get scarier and scarier it's fun to watch for certain just seeing you kind of hit it out there but something else i wanted to ask you you know you mentioned um your history with uh with rivals and with 24 7 and uh or 247 rather with, with on three you know what is it specifically about college football 
uh, message boards, the sports media in general, they kind of drive this interest for you. And, and what keeps you coming back for more? You know, when I was, um, I grew up in a small town in Woodville, Alabama, it was a population 300 generations of farmers. And my high school coach used to take me to um, SEC football games. I'd, my parents were their farmers. So I didn't get to leave. I'd get in the van and go see games. And, you know, I, I, I love going to see, you know, I was big, I'm a, I'm a huge Alabama fan. I'm not what I used to be, obviously, you know, four kids and business and work and all the things, you know, desensitizing sports. Um, mm-hmm. But I love, I love the passion, the pageantry of, of college football and, some of my best memories of a child were going to those games. Uh, and there's nothing like college sports to me. I love it. I love the contributions that our team has, has made to it over the years. Um, and, and, you know, I know there's a lot of passion around, you know, some of your larger, um, you know, longstanding pro teams, you know, whether it's the Steelers or, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees, but there's nothing like college football. I think it's, it's the sport where, First of all, you know, a large group of the people, you know, went to that school or had a family member to go to school. So there's there's ownership. Um, there's ownership in it. And there's generational ownership in it. And and that creates a passion. And then there's just so many rivalries and they're natural rivalries. There's geographical rivalries. Um, it's there's nothing like it. And and it's a passion of mine. And, you know, I'd like to think I'm good at it. And it's something that, you know, I'm 52 I plan to work another 20 or 30 years. I think on three, you know, I've been doing this for 26 years. And I think with on three, we've taken the best ideas from what we did at Rivals, the best ideas, what we did at 24 seven, you know, some of the other media brands we've built and some of the other media brands out there. And I think it's going to be our best run. And I think it's going to be our longest run. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? With the passion of these fan bases and it's it's something we, we love on here. And, it is beyond the shadow of a doubt um, an irrational sport, right? I mean, not any of them are really rational, but <laughs> I think the specific craziness that, you know, like I, I always tell this story, but um, I was the 13 year old kid and I went to the backyard brawl pit WU in 2007 when West Virginia was just a game away from going to the national championship. And uh, my uncle's a big pit fan. So I was wearing pit gear and, uh, you know, got a beer dumped on me as a 12, 13 year old kid <laughs> um, from, from West Virginia fans. And I, God love him. It was one of the best times I ever had in my life. It was incredible to see. Um, but, you, you know, I, I guess I, I am curious. Uh, did you ever see things getting this crazy whenever you started with rivals back in the day? Did you ever expect that the message board culture and the culture of kind of sports media around college football would grow to something like this? It's hard for me to answer that question because for 26 years, I've lived every day of this, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, so for growth to me, I don't look at it as, oh, you go away and you come back and, you know, you see your, you know, you see it and it's much bigger or it's much older or it's grown out of control. I mean, literally, you understand every day I've gotten out of bed and I've looked at data reports from the previous day, you know, Mm -hmm. and so that linear, that linear view of it makes it makes it a little different but but what i have noticed is because i you know i did entertainment media popculture.com comic book we we've done lifestyle we've done a bunch of different brands nothing is like college sports and college college sports is the one media field i've seen that goes beyond you know your search and social platforms like google and facebook you know it's where a fan will seek out a message board or a fan site you know a certain author 
and 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 I always use the term, you know, how agnostic is is the user, and there's mm. there's less agnosticism in this form in this media category than anything I've seen, and I've I've been in pretty much all of them. Sure. I mean, you can hear an average fan uh, or not an average fan, I suppose, but kind of a dedicated fan of a team, you know, rattle off which guys on their local beat are which one's the homer. Right. And which one you can trust because he's he's the good guy. And and, you know, which one, uh, uh, you know, has pretty good info sometimes, but he's actually biased about X, Y and Z. And it's incredible the level of knowledge I think fans have about about the media on their local college football beat. It really does uh, blow me away when you see this on Twitter and um, kind of like widespread knowledge of that kind of thing. Uh, you just don't see anywhere else, truthfully. But yeah, there's, um, I, there's more inside information and, and scoop in that world for sure. For sure. Well, I want to hit on your new venture here. Cause I, I know you guys are, are uh, not as new anymore, right? You've been kind of underway now for a little bit here, but, but on three is, is off to uh, a really successful start. I guess, what do you view it as um, what makes it different from your previous ventures and kind of after building up those two previous operations, you know, what excites you about being able to compete with them now with this new one? Well, there's three divisions of the business and the, We've never, I've never really built a national media brand. You know, if you take a look at rivals, it was fan site. We did a little national recruiting 24 seven was all about the brand 24 seven. And, and we really homogenized, you know, the fan site. We weren't, you know, we didn't go out there and try to replicate rivals, even though it kind of looked like it, but you know, we built that business into an 80 million revenue business and, you know, 30, 40 million users. Um, and so what I love, I love about on three is that we have a national brand we're building with guys like Ivan Mazel and Chad Simmons and Matt Zenitz. We've never done that. And their attributions on three. But then we're going in here and we're buying up, acquiring, uh, and building these fan sites. And we're and unlike what we did at 24-7, these things are about the fans. You know, these these look like, smell like fan sites a little more. You know, we're more freedoms to the writers, you know, and their their attribution is blue and gold or, you know, the Wolverine or, you know, whatever brand uh, that they're working for. And so that's a, that's a completely different approach. But where the real difference is, we, we see there an opportunity to go build the best database in, in sports media history. So we're going out and our goal is to database uh, and build kind of this IMDB LinkedIn uh, model for every uh, athlete for every sport in the world from basically eighth grade to draft. And so that's our, you know, our Holy grail idea is the database. We've got about 3% of it out. Um, we'll be about a third completed by the end of 2022. Uh, we have 20 something engineers, uh, working to build this thing. And so that's, you know, when you really, when you have the ability to, when you have the ability to get the kind of data that we're going to throw out, kind of data cards and the interaction with the athletes and you've got NIL and you've got the marketplace and all the things that's, that's what really excites me for this next run. For sure. For sure. And I mean, obviously the growth potential like that, of just something that's going to be long lasting and long living is tremendous. And um, I mean, that's a, that's an incredibly ambitious project. And you know, when did you start getting kind of the, the inklings for that? When did that start building in your head? Um, about a year and a half ago. Um, I, you could, I've always wanted to do it and we've done parts of it in the past, but we always kind of, you know, didn't know enough of what we were doing, but we spent this past year architecting this plan. Uh, we did a lot of research and, and we, we just really saw it as a great opportunity. And so we spent the last six months building a, 
architectural plans to build it. And then we've, we've only really been building on the database. We launched three and a half months ago. We had, we've only really been building on the database for three months and we have 400 and something different database products to release. And we've only released, I think seven of them uh, to date. And we've already wireframed architected over 400. And so, you know, it'll be, I'll feel pretty good about the product in about June of this year, but no one's ever really integrated the recruiting side, the college side and the draft side all into one data. No one's the error database and no one's ever really done it for all sports. And when you layer on the marketing and monetization side of it, I mean, go to one place and, you know, you see what you see your school and see what the kids major at that school. Um, you know, see what, uh, you know, budgets are for tutors to what their social influence is and rating and what their, you know, how many, you know, viewers on TV they've had and how that impacts the recruiting process, you know, kind of all the things that's what we're going to build. And so it it transcends just where a kid's going. It's, we're going to tell you that, you know, a quarterback from Mobile from this County from this high school has X percentage chance of being drafted in this range. And we're taking all that historical data for all those years to, to, to create that. And we're going to do it in a fun way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think something like that too, just has such uh, like I keep hitting on here. It's just longer term potential too beyond, beyond college football media. And I'm actually excited to hear about that because that is a, uh, that's fascinating to follow. Right. I mean, I think you guys started to pivot towards some of that um, later in the era with 24 seven as, as things kind of got built up. Um, and I think they added some of the NFL accessibility and some of like the, the college profile to the high school stuff, but not nearly to the scale you're talking about. So that, that's kind of a fascinating yeah. development. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, and speaking of, of course, one of the major developments going on in sports media right now has just been this, this involvement of, uh, we've seen sports gambling companies, right? Like FanDuel and Penn Casino kind of get into the mix and, and make these huge splashes in terms of investment in media companies. Have you been following that? And if so, how do you feel about how they can shape kind of the future of sports media and college football media? It's just a free for all for money. You know, it's not, I'm not a gambler and, you know, it's not something that we played in. I think down the road we will. Mm -hmm. Um, But I haven't, I haven't followed it. I mean, truthfully, as much as most people. I've been busy, you know, Yeah. yeah, I've been busy trying to work with these guys to build this stuff. I can't blame you <laughs> uh, with a project like that. It seems like it takes a man hour. So it makes complete sense. Um, Crazy. I just, it's, it's not seeing like, you know, even like a, a radio show like Pat McAfee's right. Launching for $120 million in a purchase. Or I think uh, uh, the ringer got half a billion um, from Spotify and all these different tech plays and, and gambling plays coming into the space is kind of fascinating to me, but um, and speaking of here, I, I just, I know you mentioned kind of the talent you scout for earlier in the process and, and just how you kind of are on the, on the outlook for writers constantly. And, uh, you guys are, are pretty actively involved with two of our good friends here in the field, uh, with Jeremy Birmingham and Austin Ward at Letterman row. Um, you know, between those guys and the talent you have on hand, are there any kind of headlines or stories around college football that have been grabbing your eyes recently or holding your attention or anything kind of catching your eye? You know, I, I, I think here's the thing that, it's interesting to me. I think the most is this transfer portal thing, because I think it is absolutely great for the kids to be able to transfer. And so as long as the NCAA really doesn't start issuing waivers once they've already transferred once, I think this is going to sort itself out and be a great thing. 
I think where, where this gets really squirrely and out of control is if I use my one year and I petition the NCAA because some hardship case and they release it, you know, that's when it becomes, you know, a problem again. But, but I, I think, it, you know, I played college sports and I think the idea of being able to transfer one time for free, especially in this day and age where, you know, value and so much money and so much at stake, and especially with coaches moving and, and, and changing jobs so frequently, I think is a really fair and just thing. It only is a problem right now because these kids are using their first go coming off, also coming off a of COVID year. And it's only a problem if the NCAA doesn't stack up and say, you know, you get one, but that's it. There's no circumstance you get another. And I just don't know that the NCAA, you know, with all the, you know, that we threats of lawsuits and all the things. So I'm really interested in that story. So if there's leadership there, keep these kids um, in check in their, you know, in that second transfer year, um, that'll be interesting. The whole NIL thing is I absolutely feel that athletes should be able to extract value for their, their, their influence, their presence. Um, everyone else in the society does. These kids have opportunities. Uh, they, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do it. Now where that is going astray quickly um, has to do with, you know, these booster groups that are putting together, um, you know, these, these packages for basically doing nothing. At the end of the day, we all have a value and some of us are overvalued and some of us are undervalued. But when the value is egregious uh, that's being attributed to these kids, you know, that's where the chicanery and the problems come in. And so the NCAA is going to figure out how to, how to manage that. And then we hope to be able to do that. We think we can set, and we have a team that's building the algorithm and we think we can set the market price of what these athletes actually should be worth and what they're fairly, mm. you know, should be paid. And then whether they're paid more or not, you know, that's just whether you're underpaid or overpaid. I have people more organization that are underpaid and I have people that are overpaid, but there's still, everyone has a value. For sure. And I want to hit on two, I, I want to hit on two points there too, especially with the transfer portal. I, I think I do. I do wonder if it becomes something where if you look around and I, I think the analogy that keeps getting made is coach movement, right? Like you hit on there. If a coach can move jobs every year or, or if a regular student can transfer universities every year and there's no punishment to them, I do wonder how the NCAA argues if it's brought before court to not be able to transfer multiple times. And what is the special interest of a student athlete beyond just competitive balance in football? And if that's a strong enough argument or basketball, right? A uh, strong enough argument to prevent somebody from transferring every year. And, and what is their... Um, you know, what is their prerogative to be able to say no? It's what I kind of come back to and what I wonder. It's their game. It's their rules. Like For now, yeah, day, for sure. Playing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're playing and you, you can't, you know, it's hard to argue the labor, you know, the labor issue and that that argument, but it's it's your rules. I mean, it's it's their rules. And so, um, you know, I don't know. You know, everything right now is just situational ethics and situational judgments. So until there's, there, until there are hard lines and, it is what it is, but it's it's going to be a sloppy four or five years until all of this gets oh, worked out. Oh, absolutely. The NIL, yeah, the whole NIL thing looks nothing like it's going to look like in two to three years. It's We're just starting this window, and I bet it takes about 48 months to clean up. And that database to track it is fascinating, right? Because obviously we have limited pieces of it. Like I know Open Doors does this, just like captures a small mm-hmm. section of the deals. Um, 
and you have the public reports on it, but I think one, so much of it's, so much of it's undocumented so far, or at least undocumented in public media. Uh, and two, <laughs> the overpaid, underpaid aspects can be fascinating when you have, um, I know like BYU, right, was talking about paying for all of their walk-ons uh, at a scholarship level, essentially to cover their uh, cover their cost of living, tuition, room and board. Uh, I know, of course, the Texas and Texas A&M boosters are kind of building out what amounts to like a, an extra cost of living stipend for all of their student athletes, right, where everyone gets a certain amount of cash um, yep. per year, no matter what they do in performance. And I, I wonder if something like that is sustainable, what the future of that looks like, especially as, as we find out as you mentioned, how many kids are going to transfer, right? Like if a kid transfers uh, after year one and never sees more than eight snaps in the field for you, you know, why pay him $50,000? Or if he's Quinn Ewers at Ohio State and he takes two snaps to do two handoffs, uh, you know, why pay him a million dollars for NIL? Is that worth it for a business owner to invest that money before an athlete gets on the field? And how much yeah, of the investment is even more- rational, right? Like, is it is it even an investment or is it just a way for a booster to pay for his team to be better? Markets always adjust, you know? Mm-hmm. Market markets will adjust. They will they will find the overpaid and the underpaid. And at the end of the day, the kids are going to have to also understand that. You know, when you put a price on 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 a job and it's clear, you know, there's a certain expectation that hasn't happened to date. I just I hope that they can figure it out so that you know it's a true marketplace and not a booster led, um, you know, pay for nothing. And mm-hmm. I, and 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 if you're going to do the booster led pay for nothing. Then you're going to have to really report it all and set some form of a salary cap. But I hope it. I really hope it is. X Y Z player has this type of influence, and and if he was a any other person on TikTok or Instagram, he'd be worth that with a little more. But you know, it's going to take some time to work all that out. For certain, for certain. I don't. I don't um, think it's as harmful as everyone else does. For the record, I think at the yeah. end of the day is you know you suck as a quarterback, you get a million dollars. Guess what? You get benched because. The coach is going to play. Coach is going to play the best players, and that player is not going to succeed. He's going to go somewhere else, and I bet he doesn't get a million dollars. He may get five hundred thousand. What does that sound like? That sounds just like the head coaches that go sign these long, big deals, get fired. They go take that second job. Guess what? It pays half or a third of what they were making at the other. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's market adjustment. That's fair, and there's no reason you know get so frustrated when we hold young kids to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to as adults. These kids deserve, they deserve the right to make a hundred dollars and go blow it on beer and learn from that experience or not. No (laughs) different than any adult. It's fair. They also absolutely it is. They deserve to be overpaid for something, suck at it. And then when they go knock on the next door, they're getting a fraction of what they got the last time. They either learn from that lesson or they don't learn from that lesson. And, and to me, that's probably a better education than going and taking some bullshit degree at some school or some tutors taking your stuff and you're walking out of there with some fake piece of paper. That's, and that's I think at the same time, stuff. too, right, we have as much of a lesson as we do for, you know, Johnny Oilrig, the Texas A&M booster, right, who can, yes. uh, you know, decide he wants to give $1 million this year to pay each player a little bit and then find out that half of them are going to play a snap. And was that really worth his money? You know, was that endorsement to his car dealership or, or whatever it might be, you know, his local grocer, is he getting anything out of that? Like, what is the value to doing this? Is it sustainable? Can I keep doing it? Uh, or am I blowing my money on a kid who's going to be playing for my rival school next year? And, and I think that's a valid lesson too. And, and like you said, it's not our job to regulate whether or not these private companies want to blow their money. If that's someone's private fortune or someone's private money, and uh, they want to waste it on, on a kid who, 
uh, won't play or, you know, it's going to transfer. That doesn't seem like my problem at, at a certain level. Right. Uh, I, I don't really care. Uh, as long as, as long as the sport remains competitive and it's not just four or five teams, the most money kind of winning games. And I don't think it'll get to that point. Cause like you said, there will be a market adjustment that I don't really care what the outcome is for those private companies. And for, like you said, the individuals on their endorsements, um, it's all, all as well that ends well to me, uh, is the way I view it. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll work itself out. And, mm-hmm. You know that, it, and I have no doubt. But it's going to take it's going to take two or three or four cycles to do so, for sure. Um, and, well, and, that's, Shannon, and that's fair. Well, it was absolutely thrilling having you on, and thank you so much for your time. I love talking through this nil stuff and the transfer portal and the future of on three sports with you. Um, you are more than welcome back anytime you'd like to. And, and thanks again for your time. And uh, you know, best of luck to you and Matt uh, with your continued connections with the federal government. <laughs> hey, you, you guys call me anytime. I'll do this anytime. I appreciate you. Back now, we'd like to thank Shannon again for his time. Uh, you can find all of his his business uh, ventures over at On Three Sports. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people who listen to this are, are well aware of on three and, and obviously Shannon, as Ryan mentioned, is a, a kind of integral part of modern college football. So we'd like to thank him again. Uh, yeah. we are going to talk. You do have to wonder what, what kind of bump on three and 24 seven we'll get from having the flipping the field endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why we, that's why we brought him on is to get the, uh, so that we could, we could shout out a little known website that we like to, that we, uh, we, we just like everybody just to uh, check out. Um, we're going to talk. They definitely don't have 20 to 30,000 times more subscribers than we do. <laughs> Uh, listen, we could have any number of subscribers. It's impossible to say. Um, uh, but uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting stuff now, which I think is, is sort of on par with a lot of the message board stuff that's been you know discussed already. Uh, it's been a, a wacky one, I would say, for, for early signing period. It seems like it's always going to just be kind of like this. But we have some big storylines to talk about. We're going to do in February, a more complete recruiting show. I think we have a, a kind of unique idea to look at certain classes beyond just the rankings. Uh, but for right now, we're going to just talk some of the headlines. And I think that the big headline and the one that I'm sure most listeners are familiar with and is, I think, deservedly so the big story, uh, Travis Hunter flipping from Florida State to Jackson State, joining Deion Sanders' class. Um, this, I, I was uh, I was enthralled watching this yesterday as it sort of unfolded, I think a lot of people <clears throat> checked into the the fire Mike Norvell Twitter space, which was great. Um, but this is uh, I don't I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. This is completely nuts. I, I was I was stunned. Uh, I, yeah, I can't say I ever imagined this happening. Uh, of course, there's like the behind the, the behind the scenes stories of whether or not Barstool Sports and Pencasino paid like multiple millions of dollars to make this happen, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, if that's what happened. <laughs> Right. But at the same time, I can't imagine it's like they're outbidding the entire Florida State booster group, right? It seems like mm-hmm. he wanted to go play for Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking that he made the move. Like I can't I cannot believe it. And I <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like I, I just cannot I, I don't think in my wildest dreams I ever imagined something like this happening in college football. Yeah, it's this is like something that happens in college basketball a lot of the time not a lot of the times but it has not a lot of the time yeah no one at this level has ever played for an hbcu sometimes in in basketball you'll see you know a guy will go down there and it hasn't really worked yet like there's not been a guy who really it broke through or anything and obviously that's a fairly new thing but 
Um, and also, uh, basketball is a much easier sport to do that in football. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> there's a lot more one the impact that one player can have on a basketball game than yes. one player can have on a football game. Yeah. And so, like, I, I really, we're in kind of uncharted territory here. I don't know what, what it was exactly that got him out there. I think that the barstool thing, certainly there's something to that, obviously. Um, to which I say, all right, cool, whatever. Um, I don't really care. Sure. <laughs> it's just, you know, do what you got to do. Um, and I, well, also... I think especially too, like with, with your, uh, your role and pardon my take, um, <laughs> I have to assume it's pretty big for your brand personally. Yeah, I'm both guys. I do both voices and I just go back and forth. Um, to real quick, I don't know if you were in that space at all that, that, uh, fire Mike Norvell space. Oh yeah, dude. What did that guy do to become famous? Because he's one of the least funny people I've ever heard. That big cat guy, what a freak. What a terrible guy. <laughs> yeah, he was just on Barstool from the beginning. That was his thing. He yeah. was just like one of the first guys at Barstool. <laughs> this guy sucks. Um, he's... I don't think he's funny at all. No. Uh, the only time he's good is if you catch him on a podcast, the guy who's much less funny than him. Okay. Uh, like Ryan Rosillo. Like when he's on Ryan Rosillo's podcast, he's funnier than Rosillo. Great. So uh, he's like good in that environment, but... Yeah, I don't really get the appeal either. I, I listened to like six episodes of Pardon My Take in like 2016 no, when it was yeah, big. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> that was about it for me. Yeah, I, think I didn't I, really seen enough. Yeah, I can't say I really got it. I, I don't really understand. Uh, I mean, I think PFT commenters funny on Twitter. Yeah. But not everyone who's funny on Twitter translates into a podcast, as people can tell from our podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we actually have the opposite thing going on. <laughs> We're only funny on the podcast. We don't do anything that anybody likes on Twitter, um, which is, I think, how you... It's, it's a better way to be, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed him continuously getting kicked out of the space for not being funny. I thought that was good. Um, but yeah, this is this is nuts. I don't know if there's other guys who are going to follow him. I, I don't think that we can assume that just from this i do think that there is a special sort of dion flair to this that is specific to a really good cornerback from the south who is well aware of what dion did at florida state and as a player in general and has talked about how dion is kind of his you know his his hero and a guy who he would he would like to be able to to be like and i think that dion just has that quality in a way that other coaches don't um it does make it look very funny that tcu and I, I said as much online it makes it look very funny that tcu hired uh sonny dykes over dion um is <laughs> when you have the chance to turn down or when you have the chance to uh to hire the guy who would leave smu in this era for uh instead of dion sanders you have to do it um just you you have to take the opportunity to hire literally the exact same guy that every other big 12 school hired for like 10 years five years ago um, you have to do it, and we do love that for it's them. It's the cool thing to do. It's, it's really cool. cool. It's going to work out. It's yeah. going to work out so well. <laughs> Dude, we have flipped so hard on Sonny Dykes. Fuck that guy. Oh, I yeah. hate this man. I think we probably have some new SMU listeners, by the way, because yeah. they were like out of the woodwork, like 70 SMU guys were favoriting my tweet about hating Sonny Dykes. Yeah. Uh, not sure where that came from. It we didn't have them. any retweets, so I'm not, they're just organically <laughs> searching Sonny Dykes' name and uh, <laughs> hating on him. <laughs> uh. So... And then uh, whatever loser runs the uh, TCU SB yes. Nation account. Did you, I, didn't, I for, always, no offense to any of our SB Nation followers, but I forget they still have blogs sometimes. It's Yeah, it's um, cool. It's cool to still do that in 2021. <laughs> classic, classic move. Yeah, no no hate to our SB Nation guys, but uh, that's, that's tough. <laughs> that's a tough look. Um, yeah. The, the but, uh, but we're just different, yeah. Yeah, we're built different. I, I work at a, at a newspaper that is really only like one half step up from an 
SB Nation blog, but who's to say? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't get mad at me. Uh, I, I think uh, I think this is this as a as an actual like football thing though. I think it's very cool. I'm excited to see what this looks like. Jackson State is already really good. I'm curious how long uh, Dion is going to stick around, just because you know it, it seems like he has larger aspirations. He has just you know staked his claim for the Florida State job on national television, which I think is a power play. Um, but this kid's really good, and I'm interested to see what he does in in you know in Jackson and what he does against other SWAC teams. Uh, I hope that this means that these teams in Jackson State specifically get more television time and national attention. I think it will uh, because they're really good and they're fun to watch, and I'd like to be able to see more of those games. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, have you watched Travis Hunter play? Have you had a chance to watch a, his a, like a, uh, a little bit? He is a freak, from what I have seen. He is honestly like probably the single best player in, in the country, which I know he's rated as, and is also like the best pure football player I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. The shit he does on a football field is just like unbelievable to me. Yeah. I, I I can't imagine like seeing another. Oh my God. I don't know. You just watch that shit happen. And uh, it is, uh, I can't, uh, I can't wrap my head around it. Sometimes the way this guy just fucking blows people up at his size. Yeah. Um, and the way he plays both ways the entire game, just an absolute animal. Shout out to him. Um, I don't think Jackson State will be good. <laughs> I, I do think. I know we talked about it. Like, you're you're a big Dion guy. I think I believe you called uh, Dion the ideal modern coach. Yeah. In our uh, in our DM, uh, I don't think I'm quite there yet. Um, I do think you do have to be able to coach football as well as recruit. My man a little is bit. my man is eleven and one. My my man is is playing in the celebration. Ball. He went eleven and one. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was just talking purely out of my ass. Yeah, I was firing right from the hip. They're in the celebration ball. They're going to win it. Okay, that's cool. That's yeah. actually pretty cool then. Um, yeah, Dion should be the Florida State head coach next yes. week. Yes, he should be the Florida State head coach. He rocks. Like he, This man is bringing four that's, stars. and the That's what he one, did. Yeah. He, he just took uh, Mike Norvell's job on national television. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he stole Mike Norvell's job from him on television. Like this is over. This is done for Mike Norvell. It's you can't. And come he back like from pissed that. on him when he did it. So yeah. he did it in a rude way. Yeah, you cannot come back from this. The kid throwing the hat away. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> kid who was committed to Florida State for years, and you come in and say oh, that's mine now. Never mind. Could you imagine how embarrassing that is? Oh my god! Ugh. If you're Mike Norvell, you're just like not—you're not falling asleep for days. This is miserable. This is a miserable experience. You're just thinking like, oh my god, this like the whims of a teenager just cost me like a, a seven million dollar a year job because he didn't like me as much as he liked Prime. Man, that's tough. That's so. But tough. at the same time, what could he have possibly done? Nothing. Right? Like, there's what? nothing you can yeah. do about this. There is no way you cannot overcome <laughs> Prime if you are if you are Norvell in that situation. There's no way to do it. Um, it is literally just like this kid has indirectly told you, "I don't like you or respect you as much as a man <laughs> as I do <laughs> Deion Sanders." <laughs> that's just kid who you have worked to establish a relationship with for two and a half years. Just like well. You're nice and all, but you're not Deion Sanders. And Mike Norvell knows he will never be Deion Sanders. He cannot be Deion Sanders. And the funniest part, too, is like, I don't, did you watch uh, Steve Wolfong breaking the news on 24-7's like, uh, I live thing? I did not. He, You could just see it on his face, how anxious he was. Like, he, uh, something he has to report, essentially, because it's such a big deal. Like, you can't not report it if you're hearing about it. Sure. But also... 
how stupid he could look if Travis Hunter was just messing with everybody by yes. reporting that Jackson State might flip an everyone player in the country. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, everyone's just like, okay, clown. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. uh, just a very dangerous territory to be in. And you can see the anxiety in his face that he reported it. Very fun to watch. Dude, this was also, uh, it's uh, it's sort of a similar situation. And, and we haven't we haven't talked about this a ton. I don't think we need to. But it's a, sort of a similar situation to the guy uh, Chip Towers at, AJ, at AJC who reported the uh, the Dan Lanning to Oregon thing and it wasn't immediately mm-hmm. confirmed and like a bunch of people outright denied it and said like this is not a done deal yet and he ended up being right but man that is a that is a terrifying uh, proposition there to to report something and like obviously it's like that with anything but with news that significant like especially this one that is just i i'm i'm mortified even thinking about it like if you get that wrong that's it like that's that's it you got to go into hiding yeah like if you were talking about a player and you put like the equal sign equals 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 on him <laughs> and you were just wrong like 60 percent of the time uh for like five years in a row it mm-hmm. would have to be so embarrassing you just wouldn't be able to keep doing media yeah dude you'd never be able to get back into it if you were like caught you know paying a long snapper to give you practice tape or anything like that you could never allegedly. get back into it i don't think we need to say allegedly <laughs> uh we might <laughs> um oh man uh yeah but couldn't be me that's all i have to say simply could not be me all i have to say is how are you gonna hate from outside of the press box you can't even get in (laughs) um next up here i i think that's all we have on travis hunter this rocks i'm i'm all for it i think it's very cool um yeah you have here 20 of the top 100 prospects in the country in the 2022 class remain unsigned um this seems kind of like a a shift of sorts it's been in the last couple of years, the early signing period, pretty much everybody has signed. There's a lot of guys who didn't this time. And I, I think that it's, it kind of feels to me like everything's sort of normalizing and players starting to realize like, okay, I have a little bit more, a little bit more leeway here. Well, I think we're going to talk about it in the off season. So I don't want to give too much away, but I, I do think that um, we need to just get rid of this early signing period, right? There's no point to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just have like have the early signing period in August for players that are going to enroll early and have the regular one in February for everybody else. That's all we need. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we don't need that, anything else. And like, even yeah. just like, you know, making it so that more guys can enroll early if they'd like to is, it would be fine too. You know, like, like not making it so that it's limited based on how many scholarship guys are guaranteed to leave. Um, I think that would be, be fine too. Uh, just, this is bad. This is not, <laughs> this is not a good way to do it. I don't think. It's not working. Yeah, whatever they're doing, it's not working. And uh, we need to get rid of this. By the way, I'm just, I'm going to let you know this just for the, for our listeners there. I'm having very chill vibes the podcast today because I'm browsing through uh, tie dye t shirts while we're mm, podcasting. Nice. We love that. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorting through the top, uh, the top 2022 recruits remaining. And it's interesting. Cool. It seems like every single one of them is projected to Texas AM. Do you know anything about this? Hmm. <laughs> It's unclear why that could possibly be or what could have caused that. But I, I <laughs> They're going to assume... bring in like 45 guys and like 10 of them are five stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is a psycho <laughs> class. Uh and, but aren't they all at like three position groups? Like yeah, are they just pretty, pretty much, much only getting defensive linemen and and like running backs? It's not a bad way to do it. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Famously, as we saw from Ohio State season, only recruiting players at a couple positions well is, is usually just a great method that will always work out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you're going to do it, probably just not getting only receivers would be a good start. I, I think recruiting other <laughs> positions than receiver would be a uh, 
a nice way to do it. Um, Receivers in like the top four positions you want to recruit really well, though. Sure, but you should recruit other positions. I think I, 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 you I should think... recruit other positions. I don't disagree. What is the so? What is the the the, the hierarchy here? Probably both lines in some order. Uh, quarterbacks, quarterbacks, wide receivers. I think I'd probably and... put corners above wide receivers. Actually, um, oh, I would definitely do put receivers above corners. Why? Because I don't know. Like the best corners in the country. Uh, first of all, like I, I think a college corner does not de- like uh, they don't really develop as quickly as receivers do. A, a sure. receiver's great as a freshman a lot of times for like uh, most corners take a couple years. I think Derek Stingley's a rare exception. Yeah. Um and uh also great offense beats great beats great defense it has for years. Sure. Um but I, I think probably then uh, some order of wide receivers corners I, I I think yours is a is a fair argument. Um and then Beyond that, I don't know if there's really a ton like like hybrid linebacker safety, some sort running backs in there. Um, if you recruit a tight end, I have no interest in you as a coach. You are a Mickey Mouse coach. No right. tight ends. You're not serious. Mickey no Mouse. tight ends. Yeah. <laughs> we need to. Uh, I I saw it. God, I, I'm just embarrassed to even say this out loud because I just know you're ready to use this for the next six months in the mm-hmm. offseason. Uh, people were talking on the message boards today about the idea of Keenan Bailey, Ohio State GA, yes. being promoted yes. to uh, coach to coach the tight ends, yes. <laughs> so they could get better at recruiting tight ends. <laughs> That's right. Ryan Day looking at every problem. Have yes. you listened to that? You know that like sound that's going around on like TikTok and Instagram reels. That's like uh, the cheese under the sauce, the uh, the Chicago style pizza one. You know what I'm talking about? No. I'll send it to you so you can play it at this part of the podcast if you'd like. So it okay. sounds normal in context but yeah sure you know ryan day just looking at every single position group and being like we need internal promotion we need internal promotion we need internal promotion (laughs) at every fucking turn yeah yeah um next up here we i'm interested in a lot of the quarterback recruiting that's been going on here because it seems like more and more schools are kind of opting towards transfers rather than high school quarterbacks not like all of them and there is still obviously high school quarterback recruiting going on but you see some of the top schools that aren't necessarily doing this as much and you've seen a lot of teams have success with veteran quarterbacks you get you know the joe burrow effect the kenny pickett effect things like that um and i'm curious how this is going to impact what we see in quarterback recruiting where you know that like even if you're a a team that lands for example the number one quarterback recruit of all time and then doesn't play him above jack miller and then he transfers just um, as one example right just as one example and it's not any kid in particular just as a you know an amalgamation of several um but you know that that is a distinct possibility and so i wonder if we're going to reach a point where like yeah, you're going to bring in a high school quarterback recruit, but you're also going to have about five others that you're well aware of and that you watch for the first right. couple of years because you know that they're more likely to end up at your school than the guy you signed. I don't know if they're more likely, but I do agree there are certain situations. Like, I, I think at a lot of schools, right, um, here's the thing. The kids that could transfer out aren't going to be very valuable. Like a, a lot of the backups at like a lower level P5 or a G5 school, if you're the second string guy there, how many other schools are really going to want you? And are you going to be an upgrade for yeah. uh, with no film? It's kind of hard to say. So I think what you're going to see essentially are the places that do collect talent. You're going to constantly have the second and third string guys transferring out and acting as like a f- people were worried about like this, this transfer portal acting as a feeder system for the yeah. major schools like Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia would just collect uh, talent from other like smaller level programs. Yeah. And I think that will be true at some positions, but it will function the opposite way at quarterback where all of the talent kind of bottlenecks at the big time programs initially, and then spreads outwards the rest of college football. Once those guys fail to win a job yeah. and go other places. 
Yeah, um, and I, I, I and then and then the other kind of guy will be the guy who sticks around for four or five years and is a veteran and learns the system and like has a breakout year four, year five. Sure. And I, I or think... year six or year seven, you know. <laughs> year twelve. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think that the 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 sort of spread from the transfer portal of quarterbacks and of some other positions we've seen this happen elsewhere as well less less so but i think that's a net positive for college football like it in a in a large way obviously having guys the, with the ability to transfer is a net positive but um beyond that like i think quarterback play is going to get better because of that around the country i think we're already kind of starting to see that it, it's this year wasn't a fantastic example but i do think that like more talented players in more places is a good thing for the sport because bad quarterback play in college football is really it makes everything really hard to watch it makes it can it can make an entire you know season just very hard to watch even if everything going on else going on in the team is fine like look at this texas a&m season not fun to watch these guys play because of the quarterback position um because of some internal issues with how jimbo runs his team but uh i i, I think that more yeah. more internal issues being Jimbo's there. Yeah, being Jimbo Fisher is there. But I, I think that more talented quarterbacks in more places is a, a very good thing for college football. And you look at just on this, you know, this list of guys, and I'm not gonna immediately predict that these guys will transfer, but like Malik Murphy at Texas is walking into not a great situation. Oh, there's no way that guy um, ever plays at Texas. You know, Nick Evers at Oklahoma is it's gonna be an uphill battle. Um it's it's more like Nick Nevers. How about that? Get him. Um, you know, Gunnar Stockton at Georgia has to convince Kirby Smart that a four star quarterback is better than a two star quarterback, and that's always gonna be a very difficult task. <laughs> Devin Brown's walking into a difficult situation at Ohio State, and I like Devin Brown, but it's it's still a difficult situation. Ty Simpson at Alabama. It's it, there's a lot of things like this where a lot of things have to break right for these guys to get on the field at the school that they're going to, especially at these top programs. And I think that more and more you're going to see them pulling the trigger early and saying, well, I could go start right now as a redshirt freshman at this school rather than waiting another year and then having to win a battle after that um, because there's an entrenched starter ahead of me. And I, I'm curious to see if more positions start to see that same attrition because it, it does seem like some some groups are more, and we talked about this a little bit, um, a week ago, I think, but I, I think some groups are more open to it than others. But I, I think quarterback is obviously the one where there's a, a, a the most significant market. You think I could pull off a circle cancer tie dye t shirt? <laughs> yes, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think that uh, running backs are also a position group where you may. I think the idea of like miles and the tires is starting to kind of wear off among mm-hmm. running backs, and we're like. The answer isn't that running backs are devalued. It is in some sense. Like, yes, like running backs number 10 through 50 in the NFL are devalued what they used to be. Yeah. But uh, the top 10 guys are as good as ever. And I think maybe you just want a chance to showcase that you are the dude. Sure. And I I also think that going out and getting an established running back is a a position where doing that is is really viable and attractive in a lot of spots because like we saw with Ohio State last year really needed a top tier running back went out and in, I don't know if I'd call Trey Sermon top tier but went out and got a really good running back who it could you plug. need a, a running back who makes you shed tears with how bad he runs okay um but they they you know plug that into the offense instead of Master Teague which is a, a, a positive for Ohio State and I think that there are a lot of schools for for whom grabbing a ready-made running back is very appealing and for those running backs, getting, you know, pure number one time is appealing. Uh, and I, I think that that is, it's the same thing with quarterbacks, but I think it's even more likely that you'll have guys like that hit 
at other positions because quarterback is so hard to predict where, you know, you can go grab somebody like Jamison Williams. You can go grab a kind of defined playmaker that you know you can trust and and push him right into a position of, of a little bit less importance than quarterback. So I, I, I think that quarterback is going to be the most publicized one because it's the most publicized position. But I do think in general you might see more schools rather than really, really trying to reach on a, a top recruited a position of need. Maybe they just go and get a, a guy who they think they can develop and who they think they have a better chance with and they grab a transfer for that season or for the next two seasons. I do want to point out that I think this will happen, but I also think it will be a mistake that will correct itself fairly quickly. Yeah, I, um, I would agree. I don't think that's actually a sustainable method that will work, but teams <laughs> yes. will try it for a few years. Yeah, I, I think Michigan State having so much success with it is is a disaster for several teams who are going to take the wrong oh, yeah. message from that, including Michigan State, who seems to be trying to run it back. <laughs> um, I think you're going to be very glad you paid him $100 million. I think that's a, a, a great plan right there. Um I, I, I just, think it'd be really funny if this year was just like a one-year blip and yes. we immediately go back starting next year uh, because Ryan Day goes to the Bears and Luke Fickle gets hired by Ohio State <laughs> to Ohio State going 12-1, and one, Michigan going like 9-3, and three, and uh, Michigan State going 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. And it just goes that way forever. Uh, and time uh, becomes eternal. Yeah. And uh, nothing ever changes anymore. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think at the G5 level, the transfer thing is a lot more viable, but at the P5 level, I just I don't think you can do it every year. Um, all right, biggest winners of the recruiting cycle so far here. Um, we've got some some schools on here that we don't usually like. There's one that we do, and then two that we really don't, or, or one of us really doesn't, and then one that we're kind of indifferent on. The one that we really like here, no surprise, uh, Kentucky. Man, Kentucky is just recruiting recruiting its ass off, really. Like, the, what a... What an impressive job they have done out there. Fourth best class in the SEC, which is nuts. Um, 20 commits. I don't know where they check in. They're 11th nationally. They pull in, manage to hold on to Keonta Goodwin, which is a, a gargantuan task. Um, this class rocks. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for good for Kentucky. This is, this is backing it up, really. They hired a bunch of really good recruiters who know how to execute their plan perfectly, right? Yeah. These guys all fit... The areas they want to recruit in the country, they fit like the, the like profiles, the players they want to recruit. They know the regions at like the back of their hands, uh, and they fit the profile of the team, and they just execute on at a very high level. Like I think it just uh, it makes complete sense to me. And they're not even just getting guys, by the way, from like Ohio anymore, and just like just Ohio and Georgia. Yeah, they, they, they signed a four star. What'd you say? They're reaching into Michigan and Indiana and a bunch of different. They're places. going to Detroit. They signed a four star defensive end out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, like they, they got, I think, like a, a top 100 overall receiver out of Tennessee. Like they are signing big time kids uh, and just kicking the region's ass a little bit in recruiting. Uh, yeah. Like they're not, uh, they're not very far behind like the Notre Dames in the region. Like, you know, they're, they're pretty much right on their heels. I think Notre Dame was like ninth in this class and Michigan or Kentucky was 11th. Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, and I think Michigan was like seventh. Like, like they're they are closer to Michigan Notre Dame recruiting than Michigan Notre Dame are to Ohio State recruiting. Yeah, at you, this point, you flipped them. But Notre Dame seven, Michigan nine, Penn State six as well. Um, yeah, so you, and Kentucky eleven, Ohio State up at four. Um, it kind of feels to me like they're recruiting, and this is a common touchstone for us. But they're kind of recruiting like mid two thousands Jim Tressel, uh, where it's it's a lot of Ohio guys. Yeah, for sure. Kind of expanding around the area, going down into Florida, grabbing some guys out of that. Um, I think it's, we've talked about before, I think it's a really good approach for Kentucky. And I, I don't think it's crazy to think there's a chance Kentucky could kind of eat Florida's luncher a little bit and move up into that second spot in the SEC East for several years. Uh, not long term, right? Not long term, I, like, I think I, for the next couple of years for sure. I think basically Kentucky can be like Gus Malzahn Auburn. 
It's fine. <laughs> so that's really fine. good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's really good. Existence. They're already kind of doing that. Um, right. And, and then, I, like, they never permanently occupy the number two spot in the division, but they're always a threat to be there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, next up, Mizzou staying in the SEC, number five in the SEC. Really impressive class for a guy who I kind of thought might get fired. Um, I still don't really like Eli Drinkwitz a whole <laughs> sure. lot, but number 12 class in the country, they bring in Luther Burden, who I really like, and Sam Horn. Who's, An animal. Who's, yeah, who's good at and, and, of course, famously, every time Mizzou signs a big-time receiver, it goes really well for that player. Uh-huh. Um, Just a big-time <laughs> player in general, it goes really well. Yep. Uh, you always <laughs> want to be a guy from the region signing to Mizzou because yes. um, your career will go great. You definitely yeah. won't backslide. Um, it's a really smart move, and and they'll take care of you. That's for sure. But I, I do like his pairing with Sam Horn. I would I'm excited to see what those two look like together. Um, I it's it's a really good class. I'm I'm impressed. I think that the SEC East is kind of it's have folks. It's having a moment certainly. You're Sam Horned up, dude. I'm Sam Horned up. Um, yeah, SEC East has three, four, five, and six in the uh, in the SEC rankings. That's not too bad. That's certainly better than what the the Big Ten West is putting up. Um, Have you seen those numbers? It's, it's yeah, I thought it was teams one through seven in recruiting <laughs> Big Ten <laughs> yeah. East. Yeah. Teams eight through fourteen Big Ten West. Shameful, entirely shameful. <laughs> I think Wisconsin might break that if they end up getting hits. It looks like, it looks like uh, Iowa has currently, but uh, I, I man, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Uh, we Luke, don't like to see that. Um, I kinda, actually, I don't really care. Yeah, I, kinda, I do like to see I kinda it. I kind of like to see it. I think it's funny. Um, I think it'd be funny if the Big Ten is the first team to do no divisions with 16 teams in its league or something. That'd be cool. Uh, next up here, Stanford going out west, 16th nationally. Uh, top class in the Pac-12. I don't know. What's if, up with that? Yeah, I don't know what's really going on here. USC obviously hasn't really had much of a chance to, to get involved here, and I think it will by the end of this actual recruiting cycle. Oregon only has 12 commits, which is, I think, down from when, when Cristobal was there. But, um, yeah, good for good for Stanford. I don't know what the fuck they did to engineer this. I don't know how they pulled this off, but good for them. I'm looking at their class right now, and it seems like it's just like a solid class. There's like one player in the top 100. Yeah. Uh, they have seven four stars, but none of them are really like freaks. I don't think like, but uh, two of those guys, the top two players in the class are both defensive linemen, yeah. which is usually a good sign. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. They'll probably be trying. They're going to keep trying to play Stanford football just now with a good D line too. Yeah. So. We'll see how that works. Step back in that direction. <laughs> and then last one here, Indiana with 19 commits is fourth in the Big Ten uh, and 20th nationally. Their big get is Desan McCullough uh, as well as Travell Mullen, both of which have familial ties to the program. Um, I really, really like Jabran Prane out of LaSalle as well. We've talked before about our love for LaSalle running mm-hmm. backs, but that, that kid's a monster. Um, I think Dominic James is a good fit for that defense as well. This is a and De- uh, Demond Moore too. That offensive yeah. lineman they have from yeah. uh, Indiana, uh, he is going to be a guard in all likelihood. But um, he's a bit of a road grader. Like, he's a guy I would not be surprised if you've seen in the NFL in a few years. Yeah, I, uh, I and also uh, Carter Smith out of mm-hmm. they, their their whole line class in general is pretty strong. Like, I, I like Carter Smith a lot. Yeah, um, I think he is probably. Besides Emil Wagner, probably the best offensive lineman in the state of Ohio this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Ryan Bear is, is up there as well. Um, but I'm a little surprised that he kind of got uh, that Indiana got him. Honestly, yeah, I, I think this is a uh, another one of those kind of kind of like Kentucky class where they're sort of picking and choosing from the Midwest and then reaching down into Florida some, some as well. Um, and I think it's a and I think it's a strong group. I think that their recruiting in Ohio is impressive. The way that they 
kind of recruit like Michigan State used to, like Cincinnati does. I think that's good company for them to be in, and they, they nabbed some guys who I see as, as being pretty good players, um, with Payne being the, the best of them and I think a, a future pretty early starter. But um, I, I think this is a good group for, for Indiana. That's right. Uh, let's talk about the biggest losers, the yes. fun part. Yes. Pac-12, back out to the Pac-12. UCLA uh, only has 12 commitments, 46th nationally. Seems like Chip just isn't gonna recruit. <laughs> he's just not. Yeah, he do told it. you. He, he told you yeah. he wasn't gonna do it when you hired him. Yeah, he's got. Uh, and see. by the way, forty six nationally, embarrassingly, is fifth in the Pac twelve. Yeah, yeah, that is bad. They've got six four stars and then a whole bunch of not much. Um, I I like uh I like Jaden Marshall, the wide receiver. I like Justin Martin a decent amount, the quarterback. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot here that I'm I'm interested in. I think Kamari Ramsey's pretty good, but man, that's that's just it's not enough dudes. They don't have enough dudes yeah. in this class. They have a dude shortage. He brought I mean he did bring in Dylan Gabriel as a transfer, and there's also uh yeah. he brought in Mike Bobo's son as the transfer as well. Great. So <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that in there. <laughs> um yeah, I can't say that <laughs> I think the recruiting plan makes much sense, which is you know, again, not recruiting many players at all. Uh, just only taking local kids for the most part and uh, none of the good ones. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work any any better now that uh, Lincoln Riley is at USC too. Yeah. Uh, good luck to them on that front. Yeah. Uh, next up, Nebraska, 57th nationally, 14th in the Big Ten. This class sucks. This class is deeply, deeply terrible. It is the class that is put together by a coach who is leaving um, or a coach that every player thinks is leaving correctly. So um, this guy, this this group stinks. This is not good. Uh, they're really bad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really, say. really not uh, good. <laughs> uh, if I am a coach in the Big Ten, I am just eating Scott Frost lunch every day. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: I think he will become a head coach again at like 55. He'll have like an Ed Orgeron style renaissance, yeah. where he just absolutely sucks shit at his first shot, made perfect sense for him. Yeah. And then he will come back and find another job that makes perfect sense for him. Like he'll win a national title in Iowa or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's probably going to go straight to. Uh, like a G5 job, and I think he's going to do well there. I just don't think he's a good P5 coach. Um, last one here, 64th nationally, 11th in the ACC. It's the Pitt Panthers. Uh, Pat Narduzzi not exactly following the rules of momentum here. I don't know <laughs> I don't know if he's done a great job with maximizing what he had here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the first mistake is, you know, not recruiting the good local players, which is what yeah. he is, like, pretty much, uh, I don't they know. I'm looking one at the class. Kid, they have one kid from Pennsylvania. That is so embarrassing. He's not even dude. ranked, bro. <laughs> uh, hang on. on. I mean, look at. Uh, let's see. I'm just scrolling through this for the Pittsburgh guys. <laughs> Best player in the Pittsburgh area uh, went to Kentucky as a defensive end, like I mentioned. Yeah. Um, second best. Uh, it's actually a pretty bad year in Pittsburgh as well, which is probably not helping. Um, I'm scrolling. One moment. Yeah. Second best is a Notre Dame legacy. Went to Notre Dame. That's Donovan Heinish. Um. They had a kid from Pine Richland who's former head coach is on staff at Pitt. Go to Kansas State is off to tackle somehow. Yeah. Um, we got a Gateway Gators legend down here going to Cincinnati. Now that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that We do have that. We have Cade Iacomelli, who is, fun fact, my former sixth grade teacher's son. Let's uh, go. Signed with Wisconsin as a receiver. Uh, like you said, we have Patrick Bodie going to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, other Pittsburgh guys. They have a kid going to Duke. Probably not good enough to play at Pitt, but we'll see. Um, I don't know. This is bad. This yeah. is bad. Yeah, this is bad. Um, all right, Ryan, I don't think we have anything else here unless you have any uh, any other recruiting stuff. 
No. Um, my only other note here is that Stan Drayton, this is going to be like a week and a half old by the time the listeners hear this. Stan Drayton was just hired at Temple. Um, good for Stan Drayton, yep. but you should have hired Terry Smith. You fucked up Temple. It's a yep. bad move. Get Terry Smith that job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. All right. I'm on Twitter, Patrick underscore Mayhorn. The show's at Field Flipping. Ryan is at B1G underscore Ryan. Uh, we will be back, what, next week with our playoff preview? Is that correct? Uh. Bulls part two and playoffs. Yeah, we're yeah. definitely not recording that right now either. No, recorded. no, we're not. We're um, not banking a whole bunch of episodes right now. <laughs> we're doing nope. This, we're doing this live. <laughs> All right, Ryan, I will. Uh, I'll catch you for that.